I also know this isn't the happiest day for some of you fathers or kids and kind of that uh, a strange separation takes place in our world. And so if you're in that boat, we are so glad that you are here today because we know we serve a God who helps console and care for the need and, and the longing in our hearts for maybe the things that we don't have that we wish we had. So we wish every dad a happy Father's Day uh, in this journey. Well, how many of you know what happened last night at 1146? Summer officially started. That's right. So this is the first full day of summer. This is also the longest day of the year in terms of daylight. So get out there. Enjoy it. Remember, uh, we live here in Colorado. So uh, take advantage of that and get out and enjoy yourself. Last weekend, uh, Pastor Rob just did a fabulous job. I was doing some missions things. I'm sort of wearing two hats now with missions and... and uh, so I always watch if I'm not here on a weekend online, and I just was so blessed by the kickoff to the series. We've called it Portraits of Jesus by John. And Pastor Rob just kind of walked us through what the gospel, the good news, really is. Why all the fuss about Jesus? Why do we pray to Him? Why do we take communion because of what He did for us? Why do we sing songs about Him? Why Jesus? Well, I can't think of a better answer than to read what John is about to write and what we're going to read today as we look at some of this stuff. Because John is really very unique. He, you know, it's, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There are four of them. Four different guys who write the life story of Jesus, but they all write from a little bit of a different angle. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are actually technically called the Synoptic Gospels because they start with a theme and they sort of work the theme throughout the whole story of Jesus. But John, John just sort of randomly opens his heart and mind and says, I want to tell you why I love Jesus. And he just starts talking about Jesus and what he's like. He tells stories that no one else tells. He goes into details that other writers don't don't go into. Why? Because he's creating a picture, a portrait of who Jesus is. So over the summer, we're going to just kind of take some of these pictures and apply them to our, our lives. Today, we're, we're talking about what it means. We have a picture of a microphone. What does a microphone do? It makes your voice louder. And today, we're talking about Jesus, the Word. The Word. And what does it mean for us to become proclaimers, or if I can say it this way, that our lives, because of integrity, character, wisdom, decisions, insight, devotion in our relationships, our lives become louder. They proclaim truth in a bigger way because of who Jesus is inside of us. Now, I'd like to ask you to do something some point today, hopefully after we've been here for a while. On the walls in this main auditorium, and those of you in the south auditorium now, uh, in the main lobby, uh, mall area of the church, and I think there's some in your walls in the south auditorium as well, but just take a look at those walls, because these are your kids doing their artwork, and you should be proud. A few weeks ago, I think we have three or four hundred, at the top it says, Jesus the Good Shepherd, or Jesus the Vine, or all these metaphors that we're going to go into the next few weeks, and then we ask your kids to make drawings like that. Now, if you've never seen a three-year-old draw a picture of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, you've missed something special. 
And uh, you might not be able to know it's the shepherd, but you'll enjoy looking at the artwork. So, so please go by, and then I would encourage you, many of them have names on them. If you have kids, find your child and bring them to that place where their portrait is and let them know they're a part of this big family that we call the Timberline family because we want them to feel a part of us now. They're not just the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. And, and when I look at what John says about Jesus being the Word, it's so encouraging to me. It's inspirational to me. So today let's look at it. And let's think about some of the things that he says. The first point in your outline, and then we'll dive into reading John chapter 1. Just leave your Bible open. I'm going to stay in John 1 um, the, the entire time. Jesus is the creator of all life. Just jot that down if you're taking notes today. That's point number one. That's where John decides to start with this announcement That Jesus was there in the beginning with God the Father. This has taken us all the way back to Genesis. Okay? So let's read that with this in mind. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, and he means literally the beginning, the Word already existed. You could replace, every time you see that word, Word, you could put the word Jesus there. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. He created everything. God created everything through Him. Nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. A couple things real fast. Um, Many times I've heard people refer to John chapter 1, these first few verses, as talking about the Word, and they refer to the Bible, meaning that Jesus is the Word, meaning the Bible. Now, we value the Bible, and it is called the Word of God. But John, when he's writing this, is not referring to the Bible. Does everyone understand that? He is referring to Jesus being The one who spoke forth all of creation. This goes back to Genesis when it actually says, let us make man in our own image. It's a picture of the Godhead, the Trinity, right there together before the world. They together announced Jesus was there then. His Word brought creation power. His Word brought life. That's why we appreciate reading what He said. It's why we embrace His teaching. Because it's His Word that brings life to us still to this day through His Spirit. Now, if you believe that He is the one who is the Creator of life, then you're probably going to put a pretty high value on life. Is that a a clean... can Can you get that? When you put a pretty high value on life... What typically would begin to happen? If you value life, then you don't want to devalue your life in some way. Or it would be devaluing Jesus if He's the Creator. It's kind of like, you know, can you imagine taking a Picasso or some great Rembrandt or some portrait and just slapping your own paint all over it? That would be defacing the artist. And so that's what happens to us sometimes when people... Look at this, what this creator Jesus has done. He's created life. He's given us life. They began to say, why don't we value life in ways that show how much we value it? Now that's a good thing, right? 
But remember last week when Pastor Rob talked about how we can fall into legalism very quickly by the list of rules that we try to live by and uh, all the issues that come with that. How many of you remember that last week? Okay, it's really worth hearing. If you were not here, go back and, and watch that online. Because sometimes we fall into conforming into a certain image because someone thinks it's a good idea. What I want to do is tell you how that happens. That happens when people take seriously the fact that we are created in the image of God, therefore we need to take care of this creation. Is that okay with you so far? Would you agree with me that we should take care of this creation? Okay, how should we take care of it? Eating right. Someone say eating right. So, no more Oreos. Should we put that on the list? No more Oreos? No. <laughs> you got to take this with moderation here. Can, can you see what happens here? Is, is who, who makes the list? Well, if we're going to take care of the temple, if we're going to take care of the body, it's made in the image of God. You can't eat this and this and this. And you can't drink this and this and this. And you better do this and this and this. And then we got to talk safety. You know, you shouldn't. I had a guy actually say to me one time years ago, you shouldn't get in an airplane ever. That's. That's sin because you're taking a risk with your life and you're God's creation. I said, have you ever been in an airplane? He said, no. I said, have you ever walked outside in June on an afternoon in Colorado? He said, yes. He said, you have more of a chance of getting hit by lightning than you do dying in a plane crash. How many of you knew that? So I said, do not go outside. You stay in the rest. I don't know where that line is, but it's, it's hard, isn't it? We, we live in that tension. I don't want to defile my body. God created this body. I want to take care of it. I, then we talk health. How radical do we get? We talk modesty. What should I cover? What should I not cover? And how much should I wear? And how much should I not wear? And what color? Oh, man, it goes on and on and on. So we build a little empire sometimes around valuing the fact that Jesus is the creator of all life. And it gets confusing for people. Now, why does any of this matter? It matters because this stuff gets twisted. We start to get to pick and choose what we value and what we don't. Let me give you an example. Interesting story of a young lady who actually used a petition to stop the building of a housing subdivision because of an egg in an eagle's nest that might be disrupted. Now some of you are like... Good for her. Okay. All you construction folks are like, oh, not another one of those. But here's the irony. In the midst of doing that, she counseled her best friend to get an abortion. Now, I'm not here to judge things. I'm here to say, what's up with this kind of thinking as it relates to valuing life and not understanding what that total umbrella looks like. That big picture. You see how we put categories in our lives. We, we, we make our rules and live within them and we pick and choose what to believe. Have you ever met somebody? Man, I have. I could name names right now and I won't because I'm sure it's none of you. But have you ever met someone that if you or their pet was about to die, you fear they would choose their pet to save their life? You know what I mean? I mean, I'm going to save the pet's life before I save your life. How many of you know somebody like that? Just, you just don't want to be dying at the same time their pet is. 
It's amazing how our lives and our minds work. John, so why say all that? Here's why. John is stepping back from who Jesus is and he's trying to make a deposit in you. He's trying to say, this is your creator. This is the one who loves you so much and sees your potential greater than anyone else ever will. He's worth following. He's the creator of all life. He was there in the beginning. He saw you and he knows you. I love that about John. Number two, in your outline, Jesus is the giver of new life. Not only is he the creator of, of us and of all living creatures, but now John takes this to another concept. He's the giver of what we would call new life, the, the spirit life. Verse 10, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, that would be us and those back then, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, that, that phrase means children of God. <laughs> okay? That's a big statement. They are reborn not with a physical birth, thank goodness, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from who? From God. God actually renews our lives. He creates us. Then He, through His Spirit, renews us and gives us passion for the mission that we are to live. John knows that. That's why he's saying Jesus is the Word. He proclaims. And because of that, we are to be those people who make His message louder. May our lives proclaim this new birth. May the Spirit of God bear witness that we have seen Him. We have touched Him. He has changed us. And we embrace Him. And our freedom is birthed. Our forgiveness is embraced. Our hope is restored. And then our joy is found in Him. Our delight is in bearing his resemblance, not our own. You ever had someone say to you, oh man, you look like your dad. Or you look like your mom. Or I can tell you guys are brothers or sisters. You look alike, you know. How many of you know what I'm talking about there? So there's this, what is it? There's this DNA resemblance connection. Maybe it's, you know, the forehead. Yeah, you all have that same. Or it's the ears. Anybody known by your ears in your family bloodline? Yeah, the nose. The nose is a big one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but... <laughs> Yeah, the nose could be one of those items, um, but it's it's something of similar gene to where I actually resemble that we are created in his image. We are renewed by his spirit so that we can make his life mission loud. John knew that. That's why John is saying Jesus is the word who speaks life. And when he says it, you can embrace it, you can hear it, you can know it's true. And that's worth dying for. I'm amazed, you know, at, at people who can embrace these types of things. I've, I've been in this missions world here for these months this year, talking with missionaries and spending, I don't know, about a week with about 40 or 50 missionaries in the last week or so. We had the privilege of hearing some stories of things that were happening in places in the world where these uh, local pastors in places like Belarus, uh, 
um, or the persecuted church where it's still happening. And I'm not saying any of this to make you sad. I just want to tell you what this one guy told me. He, he's a missionary there and he, they kicked him out eventually. He can't go in again now. It's pretty closed off. But he had a pastor who was a local pastor. He met with him and this pastor pulled out a book that was about an inch and a half thick and he opened it and had photos in it. And it was all photos of pastors in the area. And the very first picture, he said, you know, he's, the guy was bragging about this pastor. He's led this many people to the Lord. He has started four churches, and he's, and he, and he looked not very healthy. And so the missionary said, "Is he healthy? He doesn't, because he had no teeth. He had." And the guy said, "Well, you have to understand. If you get caught preaching here, they will beat you with a bat. And they've knocked all of his teeth out. His face is deformed, but he refuses to stop preaching." And he said, well, where does he live? And he told him where he lived. And he said, but two weeks ago they killed him. But they killed him preaching the gospel. And he's a reflection of Jesus. And then the next page he said, but this man didn't die until it was about six weeks ago. But he preached for over four years. And the whole book was people who have died preaching the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not used to being around stuff like that. Because of where we live and what we have. But I know in moments like that, There's a great deposit of something that's bigger than those people. That's the deposit that Jesus has made in you and me. He's the giver of a life that's worth dying for. If you don't have that mission and that passion, then you're not living the full life that Jesus wants you to live. These people are willing to lay their life down and die. John wants us to know that. He wants us to realize that Jesus is the one who is worth dying for. Number three in your outline. Jesus has a new dwelling place. Not only is He the giver of this new life that changes us and gives us new priorities, but there's this new dwelling place. Verse 14 says this, So the Word became human. What is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus, the virgin birth through Mary, the whole story. And He made His home among us. Obviously for 30 Years, 33 years, he lived and walked on the earth, and he died and resurrected. And now he's at the right hand of the Father. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. Wow. Why is this significant? I think it's significant because we need to recognize that Jesus loved us so much, he came to where we were. And that's an interesting point in light of John recognizing who Jesus is. And that also creates some confusion sometimes about where Jesus lives. Is He in heaven? The Spirit of God we know abides within us. How do we deal with that? Can I I live my life being Spirit-led? Paul says, walk in the Spirit so you won't fulfill the lusts or desires of the flesh. Do I have two people inside of me? Is it, is it the flesh and the Spirit? Am I at war? How can I be Spirit-led? How can I walk with God? Jesus dwelt among us, died for us. The Spirit abides in us so that we can live as a reflection, as a voice of something greater than ourselves. And that's powerful when we think of that. It's important that we get that right. Now, I have several observations that I have in your outline, I think three there, that I just want to make about this idea of Him as Creator and Giver and our Source. The first observation in your notes is, number one, we must point to Jesus and not to ourselves. 
Now, you would think we would know that, but subtly, I think sometimes we fall into the trap of worrying more about, you know, good old number one than about really representing Jesus and being light and salt. John the Baptist is also in John chapter 1. Okay? We've got a lot of Johns going on here in chapter 1, but, but let's look at John the Baptist. The following day, this is verse 35. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John the Baptist looked at him and declared, Look, there, meaning Jesus, is the Lamb of God. We talked about this at communion a little bit ago. There is the Lamb of God. That's Him. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed who? Who had they been following up to this point? John the Baptist. John the Baptist had quite a following. He would come in from the wilderness, the desert, out there, and he would bring all... He was a strange guy. He had this prophetic voice. He would preach, repent, that, that the Savior is coming, the Messiah will come. And suddenly, John the Baptist says, look, that's him. That's the guy I've been talking about. He's the one that we've been baptized. It's in his name. It's by faith that we've been baptized in, in this uh, precious faith. And then they say, okay, we're not following you anymore. Bye. And they run over to Jesus. Now we know of two in this case, but we know later in John 6 or 8 or 12, we'll look at it through this summer, John the Baptist is sitting in prison and there's no one to come and bail him out. Matter of fact, he dies there. Gets his head chopped off. All started right here. All started because John is giving up his followers because he knows that there's a louder voice a much more clear voice than his own. We must decrease so that he must increase. And suddenly John says, follow him. Follow him. And they leave. I wonder if John, I wonder how he felt about that. You know, it's, it's easy to look at history and say, well, you know, he did it. He was a man of God. He was strong. But I, I remember, I still remember, I could tell you the details of this, but after I'd become the pastor here, uh, 1986. This is like 23 and a half years ago now, and uh, I probably we. This is a great church, great legacy, great people. Loved God, loved the city. It's just wonderful to come in, and, and this church has been around a lot longer than me. I think 1921, and so Bonnie and I came to some incredible people. And I remember you know, we started making some shifts. We started seeing God do some great things. It's been quite a journey, and we all know that those of you who were here in those days. But I remember when the first family, when I found out one of the families of our church was leaving our church. And I was so sad. I mean, I just remember feeling devastated. I'm like, you can't, you can't leave us. What are you doing? I rebuke you. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. I just, it hurt my feelings. And especially some of the things they said, it was just kind of like, wow. And and I, I remember saying, well, we'll try to change and be better. We'll try to get it right. What do we need to do? I, we, I, was, I want to meet that expectation when possible and, and on and on. So anyway, I remember praying about this and, and, uh, and going to God and saying, you know, God, I'm, I'm sad. They're leaving our church and, and uh, they're going to another church and it's a great church in our town, but they need to be here and on and on and on. And I remember God saying, well, you know, isn't it you who's been saying, you know, that there's really only one church in the city. It's God's church, and it's bigger than any one church. And, you know, isn't it you that's been saying that? I'm like, well, yeah, but, 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 
It sounds better than it lives. I remember God prodding my heart to say, it's not important. Don't fret over stuff you can't control. You're never going to meet the expectations of everybody, but there's one thing you better do, and that is you better point people to Jesus, not to a specific church. Jesus is your answer. It's not about a church or a certain kind of faith or a certain denomination. It is about Him, the Son of God. It's about living in such a way that exalts Him. Now, having said all that, don't you ever leave Timberline Church. I like you. I'll miss you. That's the personal stuff. But the bigger picture is greater. And John was able to say, that's who you follow. That's who you follow. I love that. Number two observation is that we make choices about who we follow. We make choices all the time. And I would even propose that we make daily choices about who we follow, not just a one-time decision about following Christ. It's a daily grind in our lives that we discipline our mind and our heart that we can make, make decisions to honor God. Verse 37 of John 1. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and He saw them following. And just In your mind, just live this out for a moment. They're coming over to get with Him and a rabbi... Being a rabbi meant people would follow you, literally sometimes even in his steps, literally, to walk where he walked. So he looks around and he says, what do you want? He asked them. And they replied, rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. I just want to pull out one thing in this passage that just jumped out at me. Jesus, we've been talking about it all morning, came to where we are. He created us and He came to us. Now we have a picture of these guys going to where Jesus is. We're going to follow Him. Here's, here's what I want to point out. Coming to the Lord and finding salvation is God finding us. It's God coming to where we are. If you're here today without that truth, God is coming to you today. You feel His Spirit pounding in your heart. You know He's talking to you about your life. But discipleship is a process. Learning and growth is a process of when you and I decide to go where He is going. I'm really good at saying, come on, Jesus, we have a busy day. Come with me. Anyone else besides me good at that? Come on, Lord, we got a full day. Come on, stay up. Come on, we got to go faster. Come on. Here we go. Jesus, are you there? I need you here in this conversation. Come on. Where real discipleship is me saying, I see you, and I'm coming to where you are. I'm following your footsteps. Where are you going? <laughs> what are you saying? How can I breathe that out of my life? How can I walk like that in my life? Lord, I'm following You. I love it that it says they went to where Jesus was. You guys, I'm calling you to that today. Don't just be Christians who constantly say, come on, Jesus, come with me to where I'm going. But let's stop that. And as, as mature believers, let's say, Lord, I'll follow You to Your house. 
I'll follow you to your workbench. I'll go with you to the need you put as the priority. My life exists to make you louder, to make your voice louder. That's why I'm here on this earth. Number three, Jesus knows us before we know Him. Aren't you glad? Jesus knows us before we know Him. I'm going to introduce one more guy in the story, and then we'll wrap this up. It's in verse 47. As they approached, they were coming to Nazareth, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. He sees him from a distance and says this about him. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you truly are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Now, we read that and go, oh, isn't that nice? Jesus recognized him. He acknowledges. No, this is bigger than just us saying that's nice. This is a moment of revelation. This is the prophetic arm of Christ looking under a tree and seeing the character of a person and seeing the potential of a person and calling them out. And it's a person who acknowledges this calling on their life and saying, I know who you are. I will follow you the rest of my life. You are the Son of God. My life exists for you. That's what's happening in this story. Jesus knows us before we know Him. Here's this picture I had. And we're, and we're going to move into prayer over this. I just had this, I just have this thing in my heart about people who end up under a tree, like Nathaniel. When do you end up under a tree? Maybe to get in the shade. Would that be one reason? Okay. What's another one? To rest. Yeah. Um, maybe just to be. Alone? I felt like God just prompted me when I was walking through all this to say to some of you, God sees you under the tree. It's a lonely place for you. Disappointment, discouragement, loneliness, brokenness, a lot of questions. Maybe you are questioning stuff you've never questioned before. Maybe this situation in your life is the most desperate you've ever been, and you're alone under a tree. Can I just say one more time? Jesus sees you. He knows your name. And He knows more about you and your need than you could ever know about Him. Would you trust Him when He calls your name? Let's pray, Lord. You're calling our name today. You're calling our name. And we thank You for that. We're grateful. We love you. We honor you. With heads bowed, if you just would say, I'm going to respond to him calling my name. I need to follow this one named Jesus. I don't understand it all. This might be brand new to you and it's a little scary and it feels risky because you don't know what it all means. But I promise you the Spirit will guide you and lead you. Nathaniel didn't know either. But these next three years changed his life radically. But I want to invite some of you who are under the tree today who don't know Christ. I know some of you are there who know Christ, but some of you who don't, to just pray this prayer of faith. Lord, 
Thank you for knowing my name and for calling it today. Forgive me of my sin and cleanse me. Today, I believe that you are, like Nathaniel said, the Son of God, the King of Israel, the King of the world. I pledge to you my life and I ask for forgiveness for my sins. Renew my mind, my spirit, my body, and help me to begin to proclaim you. Secondly, how many of you, you know Christ, but you're under that tree and you're discouraged. You're facing something big and you say, I just need to know that Jesus sees my potential and he is calling my name. Let me see your hand if that's you. You just need that encouragement. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today that they will be that, that they will do that, that they will know you're calling their name specifically today. And don't let them walk in fear, but let them walk out of here today knowing you have purpose and plan for their identity, for who they are in you. I thank you for it, Lord. And help us to be a strong reflection. Help us to make your word, Jesus, the word, loud and clear in the world we live in. For your glory we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Would you stand with me, please, if you're able? I think I forgot. Did I use this earlier? I forgot it, but I want to end with it. This is a mirror. There's no power in this mirror. There's no batteries in it. But yet, at the same time, I can actually find you. Um, because it, what does it do? How many of you are already sick of the mirror? Anybody? Uh, now, I, I, in the South Auditorium, I'm going to flash the camera there and you're going to see on the screen, you're going to see those flashes. That's, the, that's this mirror. Why? It's reflecting this light. It doesn't have the light. It's a reflection of the light. You guys, as we walk out of here today, can I just remind you, that's us. We are not the light, but we are the reflectors of that light. And let's do a good job by staying center and focused on who Jesus is so that when it reflects off of us, it's a good signal of strength and integrity and character to the world in which we live. Prayer team in South Auditorium, Anne, would you just come right now before we pray? Be available to pray with others who might. And I invite those of you who have prayed that prayer to accept Christ or just have a need to come and let us pray for you before you walk out of here. Lord, thank you for the light. Thank you for loving us, for creating us, for high calling and purpose. Thank you for being the Word, the one who creates and the one who renews. Help us to live that with your passion and to reflect the light and to speak your voice and to make it louder in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I love you guys. Have a great weekend. Happy summer.